this, uh, this morning, I do want to just preach on something I hope will be an encouragement to you. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture, one of which there at uh, Madison Baptist I uh, spent some time dealing with. I felt the Lord laid the passage on my heart to deal with it there, and I trust this morning this will be a help as well. So we'll go to first, excuse me, second Chronicles chapter number 7. We'll look at verse 14. It's a very familiar passage, one which is often used when dealing with revival. And I uh, also know growing up, particularly in the 1976 bicentennial emphasis on uh, uh, the United States. And there was sometimes a referring to this verse as a national revival verse, which I'm not sure is a great application. But nonetheless, I uh, heard the verse several times as growing up, uh, preached. And I uh, won't go into all the debate about uh, the hermeneutics behind the verse, uh, except to say that I do believe when you're dealing with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that our guidance in doing so is uh, Hebrews 3 and 4 and uh, 1 Corinthians 10, often there in the New Testament, the whole nation is used as an exhortation to, to believers. Uh, right there in Hebrews 3, he addresses the brethren. And uh, so uh, I, I believe what we can do here, as uh, uh, keeping in line with that thought, is use this verse as a challenge to us individually as believers, uh, particularly at time. Now I will say this, on uh, uh, Sunday morning there, I preached a passage that I believe was very applicable to our situation today was to the brethren who were scattered abroad there in James chapter number one. And that's kind of what I'm doing here this morning, preaching to the brethren who are scattered abroad. But, uh, but anyway, here in uh, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, Chronicles chapter number seven, we have a familiar verse of scripture, but I just want to review it and I want to give a few thoughts about that before we dive into it. And that would simply be that um, this is an unusual circumstance. Obviously, I'm... Uh, uh, over the hill as far as age is concerned, and never have I experienced anything that even comes close. Even some of our greatest national tragedies do not come close uh, to the, 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 what's happening in culture today with the quarantine, the fear, and everything. It's uh, certainly a unique day. We'd have to go back in history past most of our lives, uh, back to either the Spanish flu um, pandemic or even things like polio. My dad, if he was still living, could have related with polio marching down the street. And I'm old enough now, though I'm not done study on the polio scourge, I certainly um, have anecdotal evidence of running across believers that are older than I who were touched with that particular plague and limp or have some malady that they have to live with as a result of being hit by the polio scourge. It's something that's out of most of our uh, experience, but there may be uh, some still living, and I know there are some who uh, experienced that. There was great fear as polio literally would march down a street and hit every home. And uh, somehow I don't, uh, I wish my dad was still living. I know he was spared from it, I believe, from the prayers of my grandmother. But uh, these are unusual days. We're not used to uh, diseases uh, hitting us like this, particularly with modern medicine, and it certainly is a humbling thing for modern science, which I think is a good thing. Reminds everyone that God still is God. And there are things that we haven't figured out yet. But uh, in light of all that, here in uh, 2 Chronicles 7, verse number 14, we do find an exhortation uh, to God's people here, of course, the nation of Israel. And of course, you all are students at Baptist College of Ministry and know that, um, uh, that church is not spiritual Israel. We do not make that uh, mistake. Uh, so that's why I made the distinction early on that if we're going to use the Old Testament, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, etc., uh, that we want to make sure we approach it with the right hermeneutic, the right thinking. So I want to just challenge us with this verse in an individual fashion, uh, that God would have us uh, in, as an individuals 
recognize that uh, there's something that he wants to do in our own hearts. And at the very end it says, heal our land. And I'm not necessarily making an application to the issue at hand. Uh, because certainly I, I know there probably are uh, good people. And my phone just went off, so make sure yours is off. Okay, that is it's not off-off, but the, the sound is off. So I just, I was, in fact, I, I was preaching on Sunday. This is great. I was preaching on Sunday. And uh, somebody's phone kept going off, and I knew it was mine. So I had to admit to the live stream that it was my phone, so I've done it again. Because my very first point is humbling yourself. So uh, I just humbled myself here that uh, I forgot to turn my phone off. Now, don't turn your phone off if you're using it to listen to me. But anyway, uh, you can certainly, uh, whatever you need to do to stop be distracted, okay? So don't be distracted, you Canadians. Hopefully you got your cup of Tim Hortons, so you're all content for the moment. And that'll also keep you awake. So if you need that help, get yourself a nice cup of coffee and, uh, and stay awake here for the next few moments. Because this is a little challenging to preach to a virtual audience. And uh, I... Uh, I uh, I don't know, I wish I could sometimes see into your home and that way we could make specific application like, uh, no, no, don't touch that video game, don't, don't go there and we, we'd start going after that, but uh, hopefully you're not tempted by that kind of uh, whatever. Okay, but, um, but here in verse number 14, we are uh, very familiar, four steps we find, if my people which are called by my name, let's just go ahead and read it, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, there are good people, when I got interrupted by my phone here, there are good people that are going to probably get the coronavirus, and there are wicked people who won't. So we're not going down that trail. Uh, there may be, uh, for whatever reason, God may allow this into the life of believers. There's no doubt about it. I heard of some preachers, one well-known preacher who has tested positive. And uh, so certainly we're not making that application that the wicked get the disease and the righteous don't. That does not diminish the fact that I believe we ought to certainly pray about the issue and pray for protection. And certainly Psalm 91 would be a wonderful psalm to look at. But um, with all that aside, I, I, I do believe that this particular uh, situation has allowed us all with a little extra time that we wouldn't normally have. Now you may not feel that way getting used to all the class schedule. Uh, one of my daughters came home uh, yesterday and basically said hey, pretty much my schedule is just as it normally would be. And that's true except minus the social interaction. And so that actually gives you a little bit more time, uh, not having uh, that kind of, uh, of uh, which is obviously something we all enjoy. But it gives you a little extra time. And, and in regard to that, I want to just challenge you about some things because uh, you are, are all preparing for God to use your life. Now, most of you will probably be in full-time Christian work. Some of you may not, but most of you probably will be in full-time Christian work. And these years are very essential in your preparation for the future. Uh, this morning, uh, or actually yesterday morning, I was talking with uh, Caleb Reed, who's preparing for evangelism, and obviously this has uh, been uh, a time uh, where many of us evangelists, have our meetings have canceled by, by virtue of what's going on, and it's given us some extra time. And uh, I was talking with him about that, and the Lord just seemed to open my heart to something that I hope will be a help to you as we go through this passage of Scripture, but I want to lay it out to you here before, and that's this, thought. Uh, I know when I was in college... Uh, I would spend specific prayer time uh, just about my relationship with God. I wouldn't call it devotional time. My devotions were a different time of the day. Earlier in the day, this was later in the day. And, uh, the, but this time was really a time where I was just seeking God. And could I put it this way? Many times those times turned into prayer times for my future. Could I put it this way? I was praying about the next 50 years. Now one thing that happened when I got into ministry, I found myself Many times not praying about the next 50 years, I was praying about the next 50 minutes. 
because I was in intense ministry and my focus was on the present tense. And that's not wrong. Your focus needs to be often on the present tense, the battles at hand, the prayer requests that need to be prayed. But there's something about college preparation that allows you to look beyond the present tense into the future. Now you say, I don't have time to do that, but it certainly is, I think, important to do that to some degree in those preparatory times as you anticipate, uh, as you're preparing and, of course, involved in ministry, but you are uh, anticipating the ministry that God is going to give you and uh, the rest of your life, the balance of your life. And I, I really thought about this this morning, walking over to chapel. If you would take my four college years and evaporate them, uh, number one, I don't think I'd have been in the ministry, and if I had, it wouldn't have lasted. Those four years were absolutely essential in preparing me, and it wasn't just the classroom, though the classroom was important. It was my own spiritual pilgrimage and growth. It was those times of setting aside really to seek God for my future. Now, some of you have time you don't, haven't had before. Let me encourage you in these next weeks to clear some time to just to seek God about the next 50 years. Because I do believe that was absolutely foundational in those years of college, praying about the next 50 years. And God many times gave me a divine optimism and a claiming of ground that I believe has stood with me to this very day and will to the future. In fact, in these days, what I've asked the Lord to help me to try to do is to recapture some of that youthful divine optimism that came from the Lord. And I may not have 50 years, but whatever time is remaining, I know that God wants to do something supernatural. And these are times for us to consider, since we're not right in the thick of um, so many things that take our time away, we can put a little extra time aside and say, Lord, when all this is done, and I appreciate so much the ministry that's going on during it, and it needs to, I'm not diminishing that. But when all this is done, uh, and I start in life's work, I want to be ready. I want to have a divine optimism, a dream, if you will, to use Joseph's terminology, that will carry me on into the future. And I honestly believe that those four years of prayer have laid a, a major foundation in my life. I think without that, I really do uh, diminish, uh, I, I believe my ministry would have diminished in a serious way if I'd even continued in the ministry. So it is important in these days to really consider these are unique times we want our own hearts to be spiritually prepared. And so we're going to deal with four important steps in order for you to really develop that walk with God and uh, really uh, encapture that divine optimism. That it really comes from God. Divine optimism is not something you work up. It's that you get in tune with the heart of God, and He is always divinely optimistic. God's not pessimistic about the future. And He, and he can lay that upon your heart, uh, what He has created you to do. I was struck with a verse I've memorized years ago. Uh, you know it, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and they're into 10. For we are His workmanship, uh, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And that really stirred me that each one of you, God has created you to do something divine, something supernatural through you. And it's, uh, you're His workmanship. He's created you. This is something He ordained before you were born. And uh, that's what you need to encapture in these days. God, would you give me a glimpse of what you created me to do? It may not be specifics. I didn't have specifics back then. But I had a sense of divine optimism that God was going to do something big. In fact, I'll be honest with you, although I've seen wonderful things happen, I think that there's still more God wants to do in my own life. Just looking back at those moments in college as I've been reflecting on those the last couple days, God has stirred me that there's more to be done, more divine optimism that He still has in the future. So let me encourage you, friends. I believe these four steps will help us encapture this. And uh, I'll just simply say this is that time what I call seeking God time. It's a time where you put everything aside 
You not necessarily have an agenda, but you have a Bible. And, and I know many of you that have an hour with God, much of that is encapsulated in your hour with God. So that may be where you do this. But it's that heart, uh, seeking that heart of God. God, what did you create me to do? What, what, uh, what vision, what dream do you have for my life? Well, we know the passage, first of all, says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Now, just a reminder, and as BCM students, you probably know this, but humility is not um, downcast eyes looking at your shoelaces and thinking how bad you are. Well, we've obviously, last couple years, been dealing with this, this whole true identity theme is dealing with the fact that worthlessness and a sense of failure and a sense of rejection does not come from God. Yesterday I got a phone call. I was so glad for the, glad for the ministry opportunity. The guy was very apologetic. Uh, but he's someone I met at the couples retreat uh, about a month ago. Uh, and he has an anger problem, a deep anger problem. And he had failure uh, the night before. And he was deeply disturbed about his failure. I think he's in his 20s. He's been delivered from crystal meth. He's been delivered from pornography. He's been delivered from some remarkable things. Uh, but I asked him the question. I said, do you deal with worthlessness? Yeah, he said, I do. You deal with failure? Yeah, failure. Do you deal with a sense of rejection? Yeah, I do. And uh, he's had tremendous deliverance in his life, and he has a, a preaching ministry. Although he's a lay worker, he preaches in prisons, and he preaches places, and God's open door, preaches at RU-type ministries. And, and God clearly has put his hand upon him. Uh, but... Um, his biggest hang-up is the mental baggage that he has. Uh, these senses that come from his past where he just senses I'm worthless. Well, that clearly doesn't come from God. That's not humility. Uh, we all know that that's the opposite. So what is humility? Humility is it's not somebody who won't look you in the eye. You ever talk to somebody who won't look you in the eye? That means they got problems. People uh, that won't look you in the eye always remark that, uh, always remember that there's something, there's something wrong there. No, that's not what humility is. Humility is just honesty. Remember, my dad taught me that. Humility is honesty. There's more than honesty. But honesty is just uh, being appropriately honest. Honesty is simply this. When God lays it on your heart, you're willing to tell anybody about anything in your past, uh, even failures in your past, even big failures in your past. Every failure in your past, God probably, in your counseling ministry, young people, will lay it on your heart to share with people a failure you've had in the past. And uh, honestly, some of the people I've been reading, in fact, last week I read four books, and let me encourage you to be reading as well, and they were a great challenge to my own heart. They really helped me. In fact, much of one of this message rekindled in my heart someone out of those books, and one of them was My Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. It's his own personal biography. I highly recommend it. If you've ever read Calvary Road and We Would See Jesus, you need to read Roy Hessian's biography, My Calvary Road, and it's uh, just outstanding. I, I just was totally stirred afresh and anew by Hessian's uh, own words but because he, he went through uh, some of this. But the idea of humility, and the Calvary Road, of course, encapsulates this, is a death to self. And a death to self means that you don't have any secrets. You know, if you have secrets, you're not humble. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go on the top of the mountain and tell everybody every wicked thing you've ever done. That's not necessarily what God wants us to do either, but we're willing to, to open our mouth and tell anybody about anything. And certainly one of the things about the other books I read, several of them were from Pure Desire. We're all familiar with that. And again, uh, the, uh, one of them was an a, a ancillary book, uh, Clean, by uh, Dr. Weiss, I think it is. And uh, he really, of course, advocates the same thing. He's just very in honesty to the appropriate people about the struggles in your life. And he points out secret sins. You'll never get victory over them until you get appropriately honest with the appropriate people. And the Holy Spirit can tell you who to get honest with. 
and it's important to do that. And uh, that's a very important dynamic in getting free from secret sins because when you tell other brothers and sisters in Christ as the Lord leads, they're no longer secret. It's certainly not everything. There's other truth you need, but it's a very important beginning. So humility is honesty. And uh, again, appropriate honesty is Holy Spirit-led honesty, but it's honesty. It just means that you have no secrets. And it also has the idea that you're not trying to act like you're something you're not. And I really do believe that in the culture in which we live, particularly with social media, a lot of people create a persona that does not exist. And of course, you've heard Pastor and others dealing with masks and dealing with uh, uh, these, uh, these coping, um, these defense mechanisms. A defense mechanism, coping mechanism is what you do to cope with pain. A defense mechanism is what you do to hide the pain. And it's different. It's really different. Defense mechanisms are quite different. For instance, some people are jokesters, and that's their defense mechanism. They're acting like life's a joke when they're actually trying to hide a hurting heart or hide some other issue they don't want people to know about. And so uh, uh, that's, uh, honesty doesn't do that. Humility does not do that. It does not package themselves in a way that's not true. In other words, I'm just going to be who I am. And uh, not being afraid. In fact, I think of a dear pastor. In fact, some of you, um, uh, all of you that were at the conference heard him give his testimony, Brother Ferguson. And I remember when I began to talk with Brother Ferguson about his journey, he told me, Brother Van Gelderen, he said, my church doesn't know who I am. But he said, pray for me. He said, on such, such a Sunday night, he said, I'm going to give my testimony. And uh, he basically alluded to me that one of the reasons he was afraid to give his testimony years before that was he's afraid people would have rejected him. And of course, he alluded to that in his very testimony at the Victory Conference. But you know, when he gave his testimony and told his church, gave his past, gave it to us at the conference, that's freeing to him. It's opening doors for him. It's becoming who he is. In other words, his past is who he is. And that is going to be a part of his story. It's going to be a part of his future. Uh, because that's who he is. God has delivered him from great things, and God will use that to touch other lives. And he obviously received terrible advice when people said, don't tell people your story, which was terrible advice. Uh, certainly, uh, God will use that to help people who will really identify with him, and certain people will identify with Brother Jeff. And he's on a journey, but that's humility. What we saw that day at the conference was a man who was being humble. He was just honestly telling us about his journey. And some of us remember Pastor Weber a year ago did the same thing. He told us about his journey, got painfully open about his journey, but it helped people. Uh, as the Lord, again, it has to be in the Lord's leadership. But humility is honesty. And I would encourage you, uh, BCM students, you're home with mom and dad. If there's an area you need still to get honest with your parents, let me encourage you to do it. And hopefully you have a relationship where you can get honest, you young men with your fathers, young ladies with your mothers, and get honest about some of the struggles you're having. And and some of the, th the, the truth that you're learning. And, and uh, I know from time to time I come into Pastor Van Gelderen and give him an um, honest assessment of my struggles and where I am and where I'm growing. It's a very helpful thing. I always walk out of the office graced. And I think all of us as believers need, we need each other. We need, we need people that we can get honest with and about some of the things that are going on in our life because God gives grace to the humble. But I want you to understand there is no no man's land between humility and pride. In other words, you know, I can't say, well, you know, I'm really not proud, but eh, I'm really not that honest either. I'm somewhere in between. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you either are or you aren't. So if you're not resonating with this, if you don't have an openness in your soul, and what I mean by that, again, is appropriately to the right people, but you're willing. The whole issue is willingness. Lord, if somebody I need to talk to, I'll talk to them. I don't want to have secret sins. I don't want to fight battles alone. Uh, but the point, friends, is 
humility is, is honesty. It's God-led honesty and being who you are and not being ashamed of who you are in the sense of um, uh, with your weaknesses and, and who you are. I'm not talking about, obviously, we are ashamed of uh, things we do but, that are sinful, but in the sense that we're, we're not going to try to be something we're not. We're going to be open about uh, the fact that we're a Christian that needs Jesus. So honesty is, first of all, humil uh, uh, humility is, first of all, honesty. Secondly, it's dependence. I put it this way. It's, I have sinned and I need God. That's humility. I have sinned and I need God. And uh, so humility is also just saying, God, I need you. And it's letting other people know, I need God. People who come across as if they do not need God and they're super Christians, that is not humility. When I was growing up, I heard a lot of preachers, and I would walk away from those preachers. Thankfully, my dad was not one of them. But I'd walk away from those preachers, and I'd say, whoa, I could never be like that. If you ever walk away from a preacher and think, I could never be what he is, he did not do his right job in preaching. He presented an aura that is not true. When a man's done being preach preaching, you should say, you know what? I have the same God he has. I can depend on God just like he does. That's the way you ought to walk away from preaching. Because Jesus should be lifted up and the man should be, I, without him I can't do anything. That's the whole idea of humility. It's an honesty. I can't do anything without Jesus. Anything good you see in me is because Jesus enabled me. And I will say, the college I went to, one thing I have to give credit to the leadership there is they would often say, anything good about this place, honor and glory goes to Jesus Christ. And anything bad about this place it is our fault. And I'll be honest with you. Um, it was not a perfect place like no place is. But I do believe one of the blessings that institution had for years was because they lifted up Jesus Christ. When you lift up Jesus Christ, that's what humility does. Humility says everything I am that makes any difference comes from God. I'm nothing without Him. So God says we're supposed to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves and then it says pray. Now I'm going to get a little technical here about the word pray. I am not saying that prayer cannot involve other things, though I do believe John R. Rice had a point that we need to at least consider in his book, Prayer Asking and Receiving, which, by the way, is another great book to read during this time, as R.A. Torrey's Power of Prayer, Prayer, Prayer Power. I'm just giving you some ideas because uh, last, uh, uh, last week, like I said, I read four books, and I hope at the end of this time uh, you'll have a, at least a list of books you've read. Uh, instead of wasting time doing stuff that's not going to matter, which we all have a tendency to do, particularly with the news cycle that's going on. But, uh, but anyway, uh, John Rice had a point that I think is really important that we can't forget about prayer, that prayer primarily is asking. The very Old English word pray, it means ask. In other words, in Old English they'd say, I pray thee. Now, I pray thee simply means I request thee, I ask of thee. So the very word prayer means ask. So this verse of Scripture, I'm going to go more to the technical term here because I believe seek my face would include the other elements of the hour with prayer, praise, thanksgiving, all that could be front end loaded into seek my face. But let's just stay right now with prayer being asking. That comes back to some of my earlier comments. And by the way, I can just see by looking at the clock, I'm not going to finish this on time, so we'll continue it tomorrow. But uh, let's uh, try to deal right here with prayer for a moment. Prayer is asking. Now, I mentioned a moment ago uh, the importance of, even during college, spending time with God and uh, really catching His vision and dream for your life. 
And I think what can happen, young person, when you, when you push away that time, prayer is asking. It's when God lays that dream on your heart, you take it. Say, God, I'm asking you to do that. God, I'm asking you to, to do great things in and through my life. It's, um, so the, the, you have not because you ask not. You ask that you, uh, you, and you don't receive because you're, you ask amiss. We, we all know those, those principles there in the, in the fourth uh, chapter of James. But what I do want to challenge you with, friends, is ask. Ask. As you're meeting with God, there is something about meeting with God, the presence of God, which we're going to deal with in the next one, Seek My Face, which you've heard us deal with here, but I want to again uh, deal with that uh, tomorrow, most likely tomorrow. But the issue is ask. Now, we all know the key in asking. Now, again, it's not wrong to ask when you don't know God's will. You've heard me say this, but let me just repeat it. Uh, I think it was Doc Flanders years ago was preaching, and he said something really helped me. He said the very first, uh, I think one of the very first things that happens in one of the Gospels, uh, early Jesus' ministry, is when that uh, leper came to him and said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. Sometimes that's how we have to pray. Lord, if you wanted to, you could do this. And I think that's a good way to pray. Uh, there's been several prayers that I have prayed were really big prayers. God, if you wanted to, you could do this. God didn't choose to do it, but it was good for me to pray a big prayer. It's not wrong for you to pray big prayers. God, if you wanted to, you could do this, and to believe it. I think even in these moments, praying about the virus, I have not a real sense of exactly how to pray. There's obviously some things that are clear from the Word of God. But we can always pray, Lord, if you wanted to, you could do this. So, um, so there's, there's no doubt that that's, that's a, a legitimate prayer because the Lord's answer was, I will, be thou clean. <laughs> and so uh, uh, that's, uh, that certainly is a, a very legitimate form of praying. When we don't know how to pray, Lord, if you wanted to, you could do it. But we all know that confident praying comes when you know the will of God. You've heard it here many times, but 1 John chapter number 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence, key word, that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. If we know that He heareth whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Now that simply means, friends, that when you and I know the will of God, or pray the will of God, know it's the will of God, God heard us. And we can know we've got it. So there's three steps there. Pray, ask according to His will. Know you've asked according to His will. And thus, no, God heard me. And then know you got it. Believe you've got it. It's a done deal. That's confident praying. That's the praying when you walk away, God's going to do it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've prayed prayers like that. And maybe God's leading you to pray more consistently along that line. And it's confident praying. It's no doubt about it. It's a wonderful thing. But um, uh, I uh, would encourage each one of you, it, when it comes to praying like this, to um, um, asking the Lord, like, give me a sense of vision and, dr and dream for my life. And God can give you that divine op optimism. And then you know it's the will of God. Say, God, I'm asking for everything. I want everything you're showing me. I want my life, everything your will is that you want to do through my life. That's what I want. I think for any of us, when we get to heaven, one of the great griefs we may have is what God wanted to do and didn't do because we didn't ask Him, or we didn't trust Him, or we didn't believe. So you're on the front side of life, friend. You don't have to make that mistake. Start right now. I mean, getting everything God wants you to get. Uh, you get that time with the Lord. Begin to ask God for the future, for God to work in and through your life. And uh, God uh, can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But notice it says all that we ask. It's important to ask about it. When God lays some things on your heart, vision for your life, ask. So um, the will of God. And, and I know many of you... Uh, we teach this here often, but just to, again, by out of repetition, just give you an illustration of this, because it is important to ask according to His will. 
But several years ago, we were in a very needy Christian school. Our team was praying every day. And as we were praying, uh, one of our uh, team members, a young lady, I think this was back years ago when we did a practicum, a two-week practicum, and we had some girls with us. And one of the young ladies was praying, and I remember we were very burdened about the school, a lot of needs, and she just quoted a verse of Scripture. That's all, we did, all she did. And we all know that obviously the Word of God is a revelation of God's will. So that's always a great place to start when it comes to praying with confidence. And she said, uh, she was just praying, and she said, Lord, it is time for thee to work, for they have made void thy law. I remember as soon as she said that, I thought, you know what? That verse of Scripture has application. It wasn't like there was a spiritual revelation in my heart, though at times I've certainly had that happen, where God just clearly validates it with the, uh, the light of the Spirit. It was just a moment where it made sense. I said, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And this situation, certainly that would seem to apply. <laughs> And so we began to claim that verse. Again, there was not a spiritual confirmation, though there can be that. It was just a raw claiming of the promise of the Word because from our human vantage point, it really seemed to apply. <laughs> and I remember we claimed it, and I think God came into somewhat confidence about it. God's going to do this. We, he's going to work. He is going to work. Well, things did begin to happen. We saw some wonderful things happen. But by the time we'd come to Friday night, I think in my own heart it was still not on the level of what we thought we asked for, what that verse in Psalm 119 really meant. It wasn't at that level. So we, I remember we came into the evening, our campfire service, and some of you are familiar with what we do on a Friday night. And it was raining outside, so we couldn't do the campfire service. And so we were doing it inside. We did a testimony time. It wasn't a bad testimony time, but it wasn't, again, on the level of what we thought we had really come to in our prayer time. I remember somebody comes in after the testimony time and says, hey, it's not raining, the fire is uh, burning. And uh, we had some kids, this is back several years ago, and today with downloads we don't have near what we used to, but we had a bunch of kids who had brought some things that they wanted to burn in the fire, some things that God had convicted. Most of the time it would be uh, music CDs and things of that nature. And so I said, okay, I know some of them came to burn, so let's go do it. So we came out there and we threw the stuff in the fire and there was a sense of sobriety. I don't know how to explain it. These were rougher kids. They were not like church kids. It was a Christian school with a broad enrollment philosophy, and they had a government program where they were able to have kids come. And so uh, by design, they were very needy kids. That's why they brought us in. And, and so, um, uh, so we come out there, and the Lord just calmed their hearts, and we threw the stuff in the fire. We sang Amazing Grace, and I'm, oh, ye, oh me of little faith. I'm thinking, oh yeah, now we're going to dismiss, come back up there. It's going to be an absolute pandemonium uh, as we go back up. And now I've got to preach in the room. It was wet outside, so we didn't think it would be best to stay by the fire. And so we, uh, I just said, okay, now would you keep the spirit of um, uh, reverence that we have and let's not have talking, let's head back to the room. I dismissed them and I was absolutely shocked. These kids were not used to doing what you asked them to do. But there was a sense of seriousness all the way back to the room. I remember getting up, preaching 15, 20 minutes. I didn't have full time to preach. Gave the invitation. About 15 kids just automatically peeled out to get saved. I was almost shocked by it. Um, and our team was dealing with them, some personal workers. And I was the only one left in the room with one team member. And I remember that we were about to dismiss, and a freshman in high school, a young man raised his hand and said, Brother Van Gelder, could I say something? I said, sure. And he began to weep. He said, would somebody pray for my daddy? My daddy's going to hell. Would somebody pray for my daddy? And he began to sob. I had the other team member in there, Mike, and I said, okay, Mike, why don't you pray for him? Some of you know Mike Fisher, who was saved out of a life of drugs. So I said, Mike, you pray for him. And Mike, boy, he got on the thing. He was passionate about it. He began to pray for this young man's dad to get saved. Now, I noticed while Mike was praying, I began to hear other kids weeping all throughout the room. We were done with that prayer. Probably half the kids were weeping. 
And then kids began to raise their hand, one by one. There were two themes that came out of that, that, that hand raising. The first theme was, somebody I care about and love is going to hell. Would somebody pray for him? Or, I've been such a terrible testimony, they're going to hell, pray for him. Remember, there was a six-foot-six boy. I mean, he looked like Michael Jordan, big old boy, just sobbing. His name was Bernard. I said, Mike, see what's going on. It was really organized chaos. That's all I can tell you. The Holy Spirit was organizing it, but from our perspective, it looked like chaos. <laughs> I said, Mike, go over there and see what's going on with Bernard. He told me later, he sat down and said, Bernard, what's going on? He said, my brother's a drug dealer in Los Angeles. He's going to hell. It's my fault. I've been a terrible testimony. He was broken, weeping. I remember the second theme of the testimonies where kids get up and confess their sin. To be honest with you, I was probably the most embarrassed person in the room because some of it was pretty raw. It was gutter language, but they didn't know any better language. That's the only language they knew. I remember one young lady getting up and confessing moral impurity. It was raw, but she was broken. She was weeping. And I remember when that thing finished, it went 20, 25 minutes. There was literally, you couldn't stop it. It was like a tidal wave rolled through the room. And I remember thinking, you know what? This is an answer to prayer. This is what God told us He was going to do in that prayer meeting when we said, it's time for you to work, Lord, because they've made void thy law. We came into union with the will of God, and it was a remarkable show. I had never seen, before or since, a move of God like that among the kind of kids we were dealing with. These were not church kids. These were kids from a rough section of town, largely dysfunctional homes, kids that didn't go to church every time the doors were open. And uh, that kind of, that segment of society, I'd never seen anything quite like that. And, uh, but I'm, I guarantee you uh, that it was because we prayed. <laughs> so we got extra time to pray. Union, come into union with the will of God. So I trust you'll be encouraged with that. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'll ask uh, the pianist, ask my daughter to come to the piano and just play here for about a minute. If God's touched your heart with something, get down on your knees right where you are. Would you do that? She's going to pray for, play for about a minute, and when she's done, uh, pastor will come and close in a word of prayer.